This is a Crestview Bible Podcast. For more information, visit crestviewhutch.org. So a lot of times I love starting my message with a quote from a movie or something that brings this to real life. And today I want to quote the 80s basketball movie Hoosiers. Hopefully you've seen that. If you haven't, it's a great movie that's safe to watch with your family. Um, There's a player on this team, um, not Jimmy Chitwood or whatever his name is, um, but Ollie is his name. And Ollie is giving a report um, to the school uh, on progress. And here's what he says. Progress is electricity, school consolidation, church remodeling, second farm tractors, second farm cars, hay balers, corn pickers, grain combines, field choppers, and indoor plumbing. That's what progress is. And I know that some people in this room can envision progress like that. Maybe you've lived through progress like that, where that was a big deal for you at one point in your life to make progress in that way. We live in a day and age where things seem to change and progress exponentially. Um, You know, if you would have told me a year ago that saying it'll buff worked as a phrase, I would say, you're crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. And then I have a home house full of teenagers and they're always like, it'll buff. And I'm like, what? What are we talking about? Uh, One of the biggest stories of 2023 is the influence of AI on our lives. Uh, You know, when you're texting someone and your device tries to figure out and finish the thought for you, that's AI. Or if it tries to finish the word for you, that's AI. Uh, And it's sometimes easy to be carried away on the waves of progress and not even realize where we're going. Well, we've been in the Gospel of Luke here for a few weeks, digging into this series for a little over a month. Luke opened his Gospel, laying all of his cards on the table and assuring us that the Gospel account he's writing isn't just a matter of conjecture for him. He's just not making up stories from the magical land of make-believe and writing those down so that we can have a nice bedtime story to read our children. No, he's carefully researched the facts and he's given us the historical points to help us have certainty concerning what we've been taught about Jesus. That's what he's writing to give us. He doesn't want us to hit, he doesn't want our head to hit the pillow at night and go, I'm not sure about this stuff about Jesus. No, he wants us to have certainty. He wants our heads to hit the pillow and say, this is not a matter of make-believe. This is not just stuff that Luke conjured up in his own imagination. This is history, this is real, these things happen. He wants us to have certainty. And there's been a lot of opening characters in these chap, uh, opening chapters. We've had Mary and Joseph, obviously. We've had Zechariah and Elizabeth. Last time uh, I spoke, we talked about Simeon and Anna. There were even shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night who showed up in this story. And while there's been a lot of different characters, the point has been one person, Jesus. He's the point. The point is we shouldn't walk away and go, wow, Mary's a wicked, awesome girl. I need to date a girl like that. That's not the point. Um, she's like unique. Um, no, Jesus is the one who's popping here. Jesus is the one who's at the center of all this. And as this story unfolded, we've seen a pattern that happened each and every step along the way. Something was promised to someone, that promise was fulfilled, and then praise came from people. That happened over and over again with every one of those people. Something was promised to them, the promise was fulfilled, and then praise came from those people. So now, um, this held, oh, by the way, this held true last week in uh, the story that Ron gave us 
uh, from Matthew's gospel too. Something was promised to Joseph that was fulfilled and the result was praise. Um, there was something that came out of Joseph's life in Matthew 1. So uh, God's plan of salvation points to the same thing. So today our narrative turns and we're gonna hear Jesus' first recorded words in this gospel. So this is gonna be significant. I wonder what he's gonna say. I wonder how that's gonna help us have certainty about who he is and what he came to do. Do you think that's gonna hold true for Luke? So one theme that, might, uh, that will emerge in this section is the reality of growth. I mean, over and over again in this passage that we're gonna look at today, growth is gonna come up. When, <coughs> sorry about that. Didn't realize it would cough that loud into the mic. When I had younger children, I would have a lot of seasoned parents come up to me and say, well, they're gonna grow up so fast. And I was like, thanks for the advice. You know, like I'm, I can barely change enough diapers right now with my bare hands. You know, I appreciate that. And now I can see what you mean. And we're gonna get some of that feeling in this passage too. So all of us are kind of looking at this going, man, he's gonna grow up so fast. And, and just like in the turn of a verse, we have baby Jesus in the manger to this man-child Jesus walking around Nazareth, going to the temple. So this passage is gonna give us some fitting encouragement as we get into the new year. And of course, like every week you could expect all of this centers on Jesus and what his plans are for us. Now, um, to kind of get us ready for the sermon, what is your life wrapped up in? What is your life wrapped up in? Now, I'm not asking what you aspire to have your life wrapped up in or what you hope your life is wrapped up in, but what is your life really all about? I mean, if you could be honest, and I don't want you to regurgitate some church garbage answer just for the kicks. Um, no, I'm, I'm wanting you to consider what is really at the center of your universe? So think about that. And I'm here today to take about 30 minutes and say, I, I just want you to center in Jesus. I want Jesus to be at the center of that universe. And I'm admitting that, man, there's times in my life where all kinds of other things come to the center. And could we just, as we step into a new year, center on him? that he would be the center of our universe. Um, centering on him is gonna be consequential for your life. Your way of living is gonna be affected. Your attitude's gonna change. You'll find happiness, joy, and contentment that the world cannot give. I love that about Rebecca's testimony, that she's just saying, man, when I found him, I knew that I could expect to have joy. And he gave me that. <laughs> he bore that fruit in my life. He gave me joy. Um, this is what, this, these are the types of things that happen. Your priorities move. This is what happens is you center on Jesus. And when you center on Jesus, it's not only gonna affect your priorities, it's gonna lead to more questions. There's gonna be moments you're scratching your head saying, I'm centering on Jesus. What? This is confusing. Uh, there's mystery here. Um, it's gonna lead to questions. And I think what we can say confidently is that when you center on Jesus, growth is gonna emerge. Something's gonna come out of your life. So that's where we're headed today and I hope you join me as we see three ways that Jesus compels our growth. So we're gonna read this narrative um, from Luke 2, 39 down to 52. When I get to the end, I'll say this is God's word and you all can say thanks be to God. And so um, as a, a, just a way of thanking God for giving us his word. So um, beginning in verse 39, let's start there and follow along with me as I read. When they, that is Mary and Joseph, had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. 
And the child, that is Jesus, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, and then they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances. And when they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And Jesus said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. So three ways that Jesus compels our growth. Three ways that Jesus compels our growth. And first of all, we see that he amazes us. Jesus amazes us. This is what happens in these opening verses, starting in verse 39 down to 47. Um, and I don't want us to bypass verses 39 and 40 too quickly. It's really astounding information that Joseph and Mary did everything that the law required when it came to having a firstborn son. So like they knew the Old Testament well enough to know what the law required and they did everything according to what the law required. And they returned from Bethlehem to Galilee to Nazareth. So we kind of have the reverse of what had happened at the start of chapter two, where they had left Nazareth and gone down to Bethlehem. Now they've gone from Bethlehem back to Galilee and to Nazareth. And we get the summary there that the child grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom. And that's repeated at the end of the session, uh, the section. So kind of you could draw an arrow almost from verse 40 down to verse 52, that this all hangs together. God's favor was upon him. Now every year, so the story goes here, Mary and Joseph went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And when Jesus was 12, they went up like they always did. Um, how many of you have certain traditions that you go to every holiday? Like when we just came out of that, like maybe on Christmas Eve, you're at this parents or Christmas day, you're this, or you travel in this way or do this thing at the holiday. Uh, most all families that I've talked to have that kind of rhythm in some way that we're maybe getting together and it rotates, it flips every year, but there's a schedule, you know what's happening. The schedule in Jesus' life was every year for the holiday of Passover, they are traveling to Jerusalem. It's a road trip, pack up your donkeys and throw your iPads on. Um, you need something for this journey to entertain these kids. And so they all, they all did this. When the feast was over, the returning from this, Jesus stayed in Jerusalem and his parents didn't know it. They continued with their traveling group a day's journey. Now we read a day's journey. They're likely traveling by foot and animal. Uh, it's probably about 20 miles, most scholars think. 20 miles in one day. They began looking for him and couldn't find him. You know, that's happened on Sundays here at Crestview. I know you don't know this, but um, like there's a, a family that maybe is traveling to lunch together in three or four different cars and all of a sudden there's a kid roaming the halls like, where's my mommy? Where's my daddy? What's going on? 
and like mom thought they had the child in the car, dad thought they had the child in the car. That's what's going on here with Jesus. Oh, we thought he was with Aunt Elizabeth or we thought he was hanging out with his cousin John as we were running down the road together. And we just didn't even think about it. Now, where's he at? Oh my gosh, he's not here. You know, you, like an angel, like you can just almost hear Mary saying like, you know, an angel appeared to me. This is just not some normal kid we've lost. Um, <laughs> This is a huge deal. This is gonna be a problem. Like there's a lot of hope hinging on this kid and we've lost him. Um, so they began looking, they couldn't find him. They returned to Jerusalem and found him after three days. Uh, the Jewish way of counting was inclusive. So day one, they found that he was missing. Day two, they returned. Day three, they found him in Jerusalem. That's how that would have worked. A day's journey from Jerusalem, a day returning and a day searching for Jesus. And then look at the final part of this. At the end of verse 46 into verse 47, they found him sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and answers. So this is just 12 year old Jesus and already he's confounding people. Already he's amazing them. Already he's taken their breath away and they just can't believe what's going on. This child's different. This just 12-year-old Jesus. I mean, don't you wanna know what kind of questions was he asking? And how did he listen? What did that look like? How did he listen? What was his understanding? Luke doesn't clarify any of that for us, but he does help us see that there was something about Jesus even at this age. His understanding and his answers were amazing. They were amazing. And in our own lives too, many of us know that being amazed by Jesus is the right answer for our growth. That being amazed by Jesus is gonna help us grow. Um, but we're not amazed by him. We're, uh, we might've been amazed by him at one point in our lives, but we've lost the freshness. Um, we've, we've grown familiar with him. We yawn when he comes up. We might think we have him pegged. We might think that we know what he's all about and we've lost the wonder. We've lost what's interesting about Jesus. He doesn't amaze us anymore. So when we lean into him, it's just like, yeah, I know what this guy's like. He's a boring church guy. Um, and I, I'm begging you to recover the freshness, to recover the amazement this is what all these people found when they found Jesus. They found that he was amazing. And I'm saying that's gonna be instructive for our growth. Um, I mean, isn't it instructive that, that if the religious leaders of his day were amazed by his understanding, that we might need to recover some of this in our own lives. We might need to recover the amazement we have about Jesus. When we hear about Jesus, it shouldn't provoke a yawn or it shouldn't provoke like, yeah, I know all those stories. We don't. I mean, <laughs> it's... Uh, it's, we just traveled to the uh, Chicago area for our vacation and um, you know, these, these great lakes are called great lakes because they're great lakes. Um, you know, they're like 500 feet deep lakes. I mean, this is incredible. These are, these are not like, you know, the pond in your backyard that is probably dried up because we haven't gotten rain hardly since whatever, 2000. 12. Um, no, uh, these are great lakes. These are deep. They, and that's how it is with Jesus. I mean, it's like some of us have walked on the bank and we were like, yeah, I know what this water's like. 
it's fine. And then we've gone back and we're going about our lives. And I'm saying there's the depth to Jesus. There's an amazement that comes with him. And when you go deep into him, I mean, it's gonna swallow you. Uh, it's overwhelming. And part of the reason I think that our growth gets stunted sometimes is because we've lost that amazement. He doesn't wow us anymore. We're just like, oh, Jesus, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, tell me about something that's gonna help me. You know, we're talking about Jesus, right? You know, he can help you. He can change your life, like lean into him. So amazement, does Jesus amaze you? This might help unlock your growth. So Jesus compels our growth, first of all here, by amazing us. Uh, this child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. The favor of God was upon him. Um, we step into our growth by seeing how amazing Jesus is. Secondly, our passage progresses. It shows that Jesus compels our growth as he mystifies us. He mystifies us. So it's not just amazement, but look at what happens in verses 48 to 50. There's amazement, but his parents show up in verse 48. And what does the text say? They were astonished. Astonished. That's an amazing word, right? And they were mindful of the problem. Like, why have you treated us so? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. So you can imagine the flashback of those harrowing three days as they remember all these promises that have been made to them. Like, it's not just like that mom had seen an angel, dad had seen an angel as well. I mean, they knew what was going on. All these stories that we've re rehearsed over the last month, all those things are probably coming back to mind when they realize they have lost Jesus. Why have you treated us so? We've been searching for you in great distress. And then there's the relief that they feel when he's found and, and, and the need to be a parent to him and instruct him and say, listen, this hurt us and we're just astonished. And at this point, it's at this point of all the points that we hear Jesus speak in a recorded fashion for the first time in the book. And Jesus says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? There's so much here to unpack about what Jesus says because I think on first reading, it appears crass to us. Um, we might even react and think, who does this guy think he is? Oh, wait, no, I think we know who he is. Like, um, uh, but when we pause enough to consider, Jesus is reorienting everybody at this scene to the reality of who he is. He's reminding mom and dad, like there's different priorities that govern my life. You, you too should know this. And I don't think he's, do, he's obviously not doing that in a way that's disobedient or disrespectful to his parents. Otherwise he's not our savior. Um, so Jesus is reorienting to the reality of who he is. And he asks, why were you looking for me? Which probably means, I mean, didn't you know I'd be in the temple? Where, where do you think I'd be? I'm right here in the temple. That's, where'd you expect I would be? I think that's what he's asking in a respectful way. And when he says, I must, it's pointing to the reality that different priorities drive Jesus than a typical 12-year-old. So a typical 12-year-old boy today might say, I must play Fortnite. Um, I must play Fortnite. Or I must play a sport. Or give boy ball. Um, I must do this. This is what a boy might say today. I must do this. Um, and I, it's just a hunch. I'm just 
I'm just guessing what 12-year-old boys might say. Uh, I have no idea what they actually would say, but yeah, no. But Jesus say, is saying he must be about the mission his father has given him. And as he's telling us that, it's helping us to see there's something mystifying about Jesus as God in the flesh. There's something about him that is bursting our bubble, something that's blowing up the expectations of what we expect. He must be about the mission that his father gave him to accomplish. So he's mystifying his parents. Look at that as our passage continues. They did not understand the saying he spoke to them. This is how it relates to our growth. There's things that we're gonna hear Jesus say or do in the gospel accounts, which are gonna mystify us as well. We're gonna look at him say things and do things and we're gonna go, why this person at this time, in this way? Do you know what you're doing? I mean, his disciples are gonna call him on this. Like, a Samaritan, are you serious? You're healing this person? You're unclean now. You're doing this now? This is always the case with Jesus. He always bursts the bubbles. He always mystifies us. Um, but what we do know even right here from the start, right out of Jesus' mouth is, Jesus is doing everything in keeping with the Father's priorities. I must be about my Father's business. As a child, I studied this passage, um, you know, growing up in church and uh, in a Christian school. I remember memorizing this in probably the New King James because I looked this up in the King James and I couldn't make sense of what it even said, but um, that's just because I don't read at a 12th grade reading level, I guess. Um, but New King James. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? I must be about my father's business. So as Jesus moves us along, you'll likely be mystified in your faith journey. There's gonna be things about Jesus that you're gonna scratch your head and go, I, I don't know that I quite get this guy. I don't know that I quite understand him. And this is how Jesus moves you along the road. Growing in Christ doesn't mean that all your questions get answered on your timetable. No, at the heart of our faith is mystery. At the heart of our faith is, ugh, I think I have a good answer for that, but it's mysterious. Um, the question is, the question related to our growth, as Jesus mystifies us, the question is this, are we gonna lean in or lean out? If we lean in, it's gonna look different than if we lean out. And this leads us to our third part this morning, that Jesus compels our growth as he actually compels us. So I realized when I was working on the sermon Friday morning, I used compelling, three ways Jesus compels us to growth, and then my last point is Jesus actually compels us to grow. So I know that's bad, whatever, sermonic structuring, it's bad, but um, Jesus actually does compel our growth. So. Um, we get a wrap on this Jerusalem episode, you know, that, like Luke's saying, okay, that's enough of this. You know, it's, it's a wrap on this episode. We get a wrap on this Jerusalem episode in the life with the boy Jesus. And we're told Jesus went home with his parents. He came to Nazareth and he was submissive to them. I think this is Luke's way of saying, Jesus was not disobedient in Jerusalem. And Jesus was not disobedient all the days of his life. He was submissive to his parents, just like he should have been. And look at Mary's response. We know this is part of the Christmas story, right? In uh, I think it's Luke 2.19, and Mary 
all these things that she heard from the shepherds, she looked at all those things and treasured those in her heart. And now we get that same language again. She's already treasured everything related to the shepherds in her heart, and now she treasures these things in her heart as well. She's treasuring up promises. She's treasuring up announcements of who Jesus is from the angels. She's treasuring up all this stuff that Jesus himself has said and all these specifics. She's leaning in. She's treasuring these things. She's leaning in. She's not leaning away. She's not saying like, oh, if, that's, if it's that mysterious, then this is not for me. No, she's saying, if he really is who he says he is, I need to understand this more. I gotta treasure this. I gotta mull this over. I gotta think through this. She's moving toward Jesus. She's moving toward Jesus and who he is. She's moving toward Jesus and what he's doing. And she's leaning in to why he's doing it. And as for Jesus himself, it's an incredible mystery here that this last verse, he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. The one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, according to Colossians 2, is growing in wisdom. (laughs) I mean, just think about that. He's growing in stature. The one who created everything with the word of his mouth is growing in stature. The one who has always known the Father's favor and enjoyed perfect fellowship with his Father is now growing and receiving favor from God and man. This is so mysteriously incredible uh, that verse 52 is in our Bibles. And I think it's there to show us we have a Savior who grew just like we will. He grew in wisdom and favor and stature with God and man, all these things. Um, So he's compelling others to come near as he grows in his humanity. People are leaning into him. It's not just Mary leaning in. Almost, I think, in this announcement of he grew in favor with God and man, we see that there's lots of other people leaning in. The Father's leaning in. The Father's gonna announce at Jesus' baptism this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is him. Uh, Other people in mankind are leaning in. Like, is this really him? This is him. They're leaning in. So how is Jesus compelling you? I think this passage hangs as a whole together. That um, both the amazing aspects of Jesus and the mystifying things about him cause us to grow and lean in. And this would be a great thing for you to consider as you anticipate a new year. Are you compelled to grow in Jesus? Are you compelled to grow into him? Are you leaning in? Really, are you leaning in? I'm not saying, saying, like, have you chosen your Bible reading plan? Have you prayed every day? Have you done all the right things and checked all the right boxes? I'm not saying that. I'm saying, are you leaning into Jesus? Now, that might very well mean that you read the Bible. That might very well mean that you pray. That might very well mean that your life is affected. But I just want to draw a distinction. Those aren't necessarily the same thing. What we've done in the church is we've said, oh, people that read the Bible and pray and do all this good stuff, you must know Jesus. And we've, like, hijacked a relationship with Jesus for all the accoutrements of that. We've hijacked really knowing him for applications. We've, we've made things that aren't a relationship, the relationship. 
And I'm just drawing the distinction there. For this new year, I just want you to go all in with Jesus, knowing him. Now, if you come up to me afterwards and say, I want to know him, where should I start? I might say, well, um, do you read the Bible? (laughs) Uh, Do you pray? I mean, like, what's your relationship like with other believers? I mean, those are some things that might be needed in your life, but they're not the same thing as knowing him. Is he compelling you? Are you growing in him? So, in conclusion today, we've seen three ways that Jesus compels our growth. He amazes us, Jesus mystifies us, and he compels us. Now, there's likely some in this room who have all kinds of questions about Jesus. Um, Even maybe this passage has provoked more of those questions. Um, And I think my my simple question to you is, will you lean in? Will you lean in? This way of growth that I'm describing was described by Jesus himself, where he said um, the people who follow him, it's like a yoke that's being put on them, but it's a yoke that's easy and light because he's gentle and lowly. So what we're inviting you into is not like a religion that's gonna beat you down and you're gonna have to carry this yoke and oh, this is gonna be so grueling and dig in for the long haul. We're, we're inviting you into a savior who's gentle and lowly and who's inviting you into a way of life that's really gonna free you to live. And so will you lean into that? You have a savior in Jesus who's not looking for a way to bounce you away, but to draw you near. He, he's not looking like to kick you and say, see, you did it again. Oh, I can't believe this. No, just like we sang in our worship set this morning, we have one who's King of Kings and Lord of Lords forever. And then the next song we sang, who am I that the highest king would welcome me? He's brought us near. He's inviting you in. Now, your heart is likely bent on things besides him, but will you look to him and find him compelling? Will you just allow your heart to look to him for a second? Eternal life, the Bible says, is to know him. That's such a provocative way of describing what eternal life is, to know him. So today, will you turn from your way of living and put all your faith in him? Will you believe? And if you're already all in with Jesus, and he, is he compelling your growth? Is he amazing you? Is he mystifying you? <laughs> Is he compelling you? Your growth is secure in him. I mean, if you know him, if you have a relationship with him, you are in him. You're united to Christ. So you're, when we read here that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man, like growth is not some elusive pipe dream. Like, no, because Jesus lives in you and he grew, you're gonna grow. I mean, this is, our growth gets stunted because we start to put confidence. This is my thought, at least, growing up in church life that we're so oriented to look at myself. Okay, what do I need to do? Uh, We put our confidence in externals, like good things, like Bible reading plans, prayers. Do I have the right rhythms in my life? Do I have the right practices? And suddenly our eyes have shifted from him to all this stuff. And it becomes about me. Well, if I'm gonna grow, then I better get to work and do all this. And the Bible's just saying, no, look to him, know him. Lean into him, you're united to him. Growth is not like some elusive thing. It's, it's him, it's natural. It's as natural as breathing. And of course, that's gonna mean you read the word. Of course, it's gonna mean that all these rhythms are part of your life, of course. But it's him. You grow in him. So today, I hope you feel this compulsion.
And might it be that you walk out of here today and say the compulsion of my life is to know him. I want to know him and I wanna make him known to others so that I can glorify and enjoy him forever. So let's grow strong in him.